So the book of Leviticus is named because it deals mainly with the laws and regulations that the Levitical priesthood would have to attend to. Uh, There was a lot of instruction every priest must be totally familiar with. We don't have to be familiar with all of the details. These sacrifices are not being offered up. We will say this many times to the book of Leviticus that Jesus is that, not only is he that sacrifice, but he is that faithful high priest of ours. That being said, there is much for us to learn and glean as we go through the book of Leviticus because it's, gonna f- it's looking forward to what Christ is going to do for us. Um, Adam Clark, uh, an old commentator who is now with Jesus, said that the book of Leviticus was the first book studied by a Jewish child. Probably the last book we study as Christians today, though. Genesis, yes, Exodus, Leviticus. I will move on. And uh, we find another book to go to. So I I hope that as we go through this, we're not going to get bogged down in the details, but I do want to look at enough details so we get a feel for... um, how much was involved in the worship and the sacrifice that took place. Um, The word holy is mentioned 71 times in the book of Leviticus. Cleansing is mentioned 91 times. 128 times there are words or phrases dealing with uncleanness. So you get the picture. The Lord wants us to be holy. He wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be clean. And while... That might have been a, this book written for uh, the, the Jews before the coming of Christ. Those same desires exist today. As that we be clean, that we would be holy, that we would be set apart. Um, there are five offerings in, in our, our study tonight that we will we'll take a look at. Um, one is the burnt offering, chapter one. Chapter two is the grain offering. Chapter three is the peace offering. Chapter 4 is the sin offering. Chapter 5 into chapter 6 is the trespass offering. Um, one offering that's not mentioned but we'll pick up in chapter 23. Um, and then it's talked about quite a bit more in numbers. Actually, chapter 15 is the drink offering. So that was one as well. But we're not going to see a whole lot of that in our study tonight. Um, and these offerings uh, have been divided in various ways. One of the ways... Um, which they've been divided into two larger categories, are those that are related to the worshiper's fellowship with God, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and those that are related to the worshiper's need for fellowship to be restored, the sin offering and the trespass offering. So hopefully as we go through these, each of these are going to be, will mean more to you um, and, and what was actually going on. But as I mentioned, this is all looking towards Christ. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, I would say is one of the more important verses of the New Testament. Um, I'm not going to say it's the most important, but you need to be able to find this verse. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So we're going to read about these shadows here in the Old Testament. But what they're really looking forward to is the person of our Messiah, Jesus. And so we'll take a lot of time to stop and ponder and consider that. 
So although these sacrifices that we're going to read of did atone for their sins and did provide a practical forgiveness, it did not make them perfect before the Lord in and of themselves. These Old Testament sacrifices could not deal with sin nature. They could not make that person perfect. However, God's wrath passed over their sins and the worshipers who in faith made these sacrifices unto the Lord were clean before God. The Lord knowing ultimately that, the, that Christ would fulfill that sacrifice and God's wrath. So let me give you a really Another important verse. We're going through Hebrews on Sunday morning, but we haven't got this far yet. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 5. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, see that word? Can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year. So we're looking at what Aaron and his descendants were doing in the temple. Make those who approach perfect, for then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But those sacrifices, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So Jesus comes and he makes that perfect, lasting sacrifice once for all. What Jesus did on the cross took care of all sin. Sometimes we get bothered by this. So we think, well, when we have fallen in sin, it's like, well, I mean, I, I gave my life to the Lord years ago and I, I had a time where I backslid, but I got it all right. But man, I just sinned again. And I just don't know if the Lord, I don't know if the Lord's going to be able to deal with me anymore. Well, let me just remind you, when Jesus died on the cross, every single one of your sins was future. He is not surprised. Um, He can be certainly disappointed, but he is not surprised by our sin. But Jesus has died for us, so he doesn't have to be offered up again for your sin because it was once for all. Now, those sacrifices of the Old Testament, they had to. But God saw that as these worshipers came and in faith they offered those sacrifices, the Lord was looking at his son who would be that final sacrifice. Did they understand this? They did not understand it, but they had faith that God had told them to to go and make a sacrifice for their sins, and they did that, and in faith they believed that they would be atoned for, but what they didn't realize was all that God was going to do when he gave his son a body to be that final sacrifice. So we don't want to go back to these things. It would be sinful to go back to those things. And if you question that at all, then come join us on Sunday morning as we go through the book of Hebrews. Um, So this is kind of a, a short little introduction to the book of Leviticus. Let's move there into chapter one and let's read a few verses about the burnt offering. Now the Lord called to Moses And spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Well, we're just flying through. Stop right there. Look at that phrase. Speak to the children of Israel. Let's see if I can find this other key verse. Um, Leviticus 6, 
Verses 8 and 9, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron his sons. So chapters, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 6, verse 7, is spoken to the children of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 8, um, and moving forward to the end of um, chapter 7, is spoken to the priests. So just so you can know that we're, we're going to, and if you've ever read this, you're like, why does it repeat itself? Why do we go through all these sacrifices in chapters 1 uh, through chapter 6, verse 7, and then we get to chapter uh, 6, verse 8, and it starts all over again because at first it's addressed to the children of Israel. These are the sacrifices that you can make, you should make, you must make. Here's what you can do to have your sins forgiven. And then he's going to come back around. He's going to add a little more detail about what the priest should be doing. And just, by the way, when my, uh, the slides go up there, you see it's chapter 1, that's chapter 1. And then chapter 6, verses 8 through 13 on that slide, that's where, those are the verses that correlate with that same sacrifice for the priesthood. So if you want to, we're going to talk about chapter 1, it's for the children of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 8 through 13, that's for the priesthood. So that's kind of how the notes have been, uh, those slides have been arranged for you. So let's keep on reading. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door. So notice that the key word there is what? Well, two key words, free will. This is not compulsory. This is something that you would do of your own free will. There are those that are compulsory. This one, the burnt offering, burnt sacrifice, is not. Verse 4, then he shall put, now listen to this, he shall put his hand. I want you to imagine you've gone out into your field. You didn't bring a wild animal in. You couldn't bring a wild animal in. It had to be something from the herd, something from the flock. Okay, so you didn't, you brought the domesticated. You did not bring a wild animal in. Something that was going to, you were going to feel the financial consequences or impact is probably a better word. Uh, consequences might be a better word to use for the sin offering and trespass offering. But you're going to feel the consequences of making this. So you've, you've chosen that animal. You don't have to make this sacrifice, but you've chosen this animal and you're coming. You've either chosen it from the herd, you've chosen it from the flock. Um, you're bringing a bull, you're bringing a lamb, you're bringing um, a goat. And as you come in, verse 4, you put your hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He, you would have been the he or the head of the household. This is, he is not priest here. He is the worshiper. You would have chose the animal. You would have walked the animal down there. You would have placed your hand on its head. And then you would have killed the bull before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood. So this is their part. All around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. So I mean, when you came to bring a burnt offering... You chose it, you led it into the tabernacle, you led it to the temple, you placed your hand on it, you killed it. 
You then skinned it and you butchered it into the prescribed pieces that then would be taken, verse 8, by the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is upon the fire, um, uh, on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priests shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So this is from the herd. Then in verse 10, it's if you take it from the flock, from the sheep, or from the goats. And then in verse, um, let's see, I think it's, where are we at? Uh, verse around 14, um, you could bring a bird and this could also be one. And there's, there's, some, you know, there's some differences on how it would be done. The priest would have handled the, uh, the killing of the bird. But the animals that you brought would have been there. So you would have been very in touch with this process, wouldn't you? You would have been very aware of what you were doing. You would have watched something lose its life. And you're bringing this as a free will offering to the Lord. In verse 3, notice that it was to be without blemish. The Lord wants the very best we have to offer. And there was one of the sacrifices where you came in. You could have some, you know, it could be less than perfect. But there are those sacrifices, the sin offering, the trespass offering, um, this offering here, the burnt offering. They had to be without blemish. And when Israel would come to worship the Lord without bringing their very best, he rebuked them. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If, I, if then I am the father, where's my honor? If I am the master, where's my reverence? Says Yahweh of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yeah, you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? I mean, this is quite a rebuke. The Lord wants the very best we have to offer. And the worshiper would have been very part of this. In verses 9, 13, and 17 of chapter 1, relating to this burnt offering, we read the phrase that it is a sweet aroma to the Lord. As the worshiper would come of their own free will, taking something from the flock, if they were poor and it was only a bird, then it was still was costly to them. And as the Lord saw this, it was something that pleased him. Jesus typifies the burnt offering. A total offering of himself. He held nothing back. He was completely consumed upon the altar of the cross. In Ephesians 5.2, we read of him, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. And what's that last phrase? For a sweet-smelling aroma. Not only was it the burnt sacrifice of the ancient Hebrews as they worshipped, but it was also the sacrifice of Jesus as he poured everything out. He held nothing back. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 says, Indeed, I have all in the bound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So, there is this aspect by which how we minister and how we walk, we model the Lord who is a sweet-smelling aroma. As we labor, as we give, as we attend to the needs of those that are around us, it should be something that is a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. This, again, it typifies the offering of Jesus. In Hebrews 10.9, it says, I have come to do your will, O God. That's a simple little phrase there. But as Jesus was in this earth, so we are to be, John will exhort us in his first epistle. How did Jesus live? That's how we're supposed to live. I've come to do your will. This is what consumed his life. And Paul will pick up this theme in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm sure some of you have already thought of this verse as we've been talking about the burnt sacrifice. I believe this these two verses speak of the counterpart to this sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to... Be poured out in life. Every day of our life is to be lived for the Lord. We're living sacrifices, burnt offerings, our whole life offered up to him. What part of our life are we allowed to keep back? Oh, I mean, now listen. Starting with this guy up in front of you, we all have to remind ourselves that we are to be all in. When Jesus said, follow me, he said, and you're going to take up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There is this, right at the, the first word that Jesus has to say to those who want to follow him is like, it's going to cost you everything. And if you value your life, then you're going to lose your life. But if you will lose your life for my name's sake, you will gain life. You'll gain meaning. You'll gain purpose. And so I found it interesting as I just pondered this, and I'm sure I'm late to the game on this point. But I, I, was, I was going through this and studying this. I began to think about how we use the term burnout in such a negative way. Now, hang with me. I'm not saying that somebody can't get burned out because they're doing things they're not supposed to or they're doing things in their own strength and their own power. But it is interesting when we talk about the burnt sacrifice and living and dying for the Lord that we've chosen the words, I'm burnt out. Does anybody else find that a little bit ironic that we have chosen those words? I'm, I'm not trying to make a statement that nobody can burn out. That's something different. I just think, why do we choose those words? I mean, it's an idiomatic expression of our day. I got it. But it seems like we would have corrected ourselves in that. <laughs> Because the burnt sacrifice was a beautiful, wonderful thing that, we were, that the, 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 the Israelite could come and offer to the Lord. Let me read to you a quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, several general observations about the burnt offering are noteworthy. Number one, the burnt offering 
Hebrew word olah, which goes up, probably so-called because the sacrifice all went up in smoke to God. It was fully consumed on that altar. Nothing came off. It was distinct in that it was totally consumed on the altar, except for the hide or the crop of a bird. And this is to be our lives, to be fully lived out for the glory and the honor of the Lord. Why? Oh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the, what? Mercies of God. I beg you, I challenge you to live for the Lord because of the way he has been merciful to you. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been plucked out from the fire. And so how can we become selfish and hold back? Oh, there's a lot to be talked about here in chapter 1 about the burnt offering. I pray you'll take some time to consider and think in your own life. Have I, am I becoming selfish? Am I becoming protective of my life, of my time, of my resources? Or are you living like a burnt sacrifice? Are you living like a living sacrifice? Are you denying yourself and taking up the cross and being all in for the Lord? Chapter 1, the burnt sacrifice. Again, the correlating verses to, for the priest is in verses 8 through 13. We'll take a very brief look at this if I get that far tonight. Moving on into chapter 2, and again, the correlating verses for the priest would have been chapter 6, verses 14 through 23. And here we're going to talk about the grain offering. The grain offering was brought to the tabernacle as part of the fruit of the land. The worshiper had labored for. He had labored. They had worked the land. And now they have this. And they would bring the grain offering. It was a dedication of those things that the Lord had enabled him, them to produce. And so they would come and they would, they would bring this up. They would offer it to the Lord. And, but this offering was never offered alone. The burnt sacrifice could be. But the grain offering would have always had one of the other blood offerings with it. It's interesting. What do we make of that? Well, we should dedicate the work of our hands to the Lord. But without the cleansing, the shed blood that comes from Jesus, if we are coming just to offer up labor without being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then it is filthy rags. It is just human effort. Because the thing that the Lord is primarily concerned about is the reconciliation between you and him. It's having that sin which has offended him being dealt with. And once it is, now we can please him with the way we live our life. Now what we do in the name of the Lord, we can come and offer it up as a, a dedication of praise and worship. So there in chapter 2, um, there are five different forms of this grain offering that you could offer up. So chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read some of this. It says, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. So oil, often a type of the Holy Spirit, frankincense, that which would be a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, our labor, Done in the power of the Holy Spirit is a sweet incense to the Lord. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from 
it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron and his sons. So as a worshiper would bring something, uh, in, in many cases, something would be left over for the priest that would help to sustain them in the work. We just read in the burnt sacrifice, he only got to keep one thing, and that was the hide of whatever was, was offered up. And so this was one of the ways in which you could do that. So you could offer something of just a fine flour. In verse 4, and if you bring as an offering... Uh, grain offering baked in the oven. So, you know, if you're bringing a loaf of bread, um, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Uh, but, you're, but if your grain offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, okay, so this is our third offering here, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, um, it shall be a fine flour. And so it just goes on through. And then in verse 14, it says, and if you just bring in grain, just heads of grain, they should be roasted and they should be put on the fire. In verse 11, a prohibition is given. It says, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven or you shall burn no leaven nor honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So leaven, that type of sin, and it should be apart from that. Honey is also something if left on its own can ferment. So our best guess is that's why that's included with leaven. Uh, so the Lord uh, wants it to be something that is offered in a specific way. This is the way you do it. I want you to just think for a moment. You are one of these Hebrews that's, for the last four generations, 400 years, your, your family, your people have been in the land of Egypt. There is none of this going on. There is none of this. And now you've been delivered. You've come through the Red Sea. You're seeing the Lord show up in all these miraculous, wonderful, powerful ways. Manna and water and a pillar of fire um, at night, a cloud by day. You're seeing the presence of the Lord and then he just rolls out and this is how you get to come. The, the opportunity for them to interact and worship to the Lord has just rolled out wide in comparison. I mean, this would have been a joy for them. To think about how they can come. We may read and think, wow, this is such a burden. I don't think they felt like that at all. I think they felt like, wow. Now, of course, in Malachi, when the heart was wrong, they could um, treat it in a contemptible manner. But I think this generation was probably just blown away at the access and the opportunity to express their love and their worship to the Lord. In this grain offering, Reminded of how Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So even as the offering was free of those uh, reminders of sin, so Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and was the bread of life. So again, it's, you know, all these things are a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Jesus is is the reality. In the chapter three, uh, we come to the peace offering and the correlating verses uh, for the priest would be chapter seven, verses 11 through 36. 
Now, this offering was special in that the worshiper would bring a portion of the sacrifice home to eat. So far, everything's been left, either on the altar or the priest has been able to retain something in support of the family. But now the peace offering is different. Uh, The animal was either going to be a bull, a lamb, or a goat of either sex without blemish. The priest would make a sacrifice, would make sacrifice um, and and offered in different pieces to the Lord. The priest would take a portion of the sacrifice dedicated for them. And then the worshiper would take a portion for himself after he had held up the pieces and had done a wave offering to the Lord. And so this kind of really highlights the communion and the fellowship that they had with the Lord. They have peace with the Lord. There's been reconciliation. And so let's read a little bit of this chapter, chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 1. It says, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of this offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. And Aaron's sons, uh, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all that, the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, And the fatty lobe attached to the liver by the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. And then he just kind of begins to go back through and, and talk about these different ways in which it would be um, offered up. And so this was one of those things, verse 12, if he makes an offering and it's a goat, then this is how you shall approach this. Again, let me read to you. This time I want to read a quote from Warren Wiersbe. It says, the peace offering mill, however, meant more than the enjoyment of good food and fellowship with loved ones. It was also an expression of joyful thanksgiving that the worshiper was at peace with God and in communion with God. He might be giving thanks for some unexpected blessing God sent him. You read about that in chapter 7, verses 11 through 15. Or perhaps he made a vow to God and God had answered his prayers. Or maybe he was just thankful for God um, in everything he had did, uh, done for him and wanted to let everybody know. So this was, this was an interesting offering. And as they left the temple they would have been leaving with food and they would have gone home and they would have, they would have enjoyed this. And you know, they, they rarely ate meat back then. And so when they were coming away and they had this meat, this was a, this was a special occasion. This was a joyful, wonderful time. But the picture is this. I bring something. I give it to the Lord. The priest keeps some of it. I keep it. It was consumed on the altar. I will go home and consume it. And it speaks of the fellowship, the relationship that now exists. Think about how the Lord said he wants to sit down and share a meal with us in the book of Revelation. 
He knocks on our hearts and he asks us to come and to open up that door and to dine with him, that we might have fellowship with him. The view of sharing a meal together was that you would become one with that person that you're eating a meal with. And so there's this idea of a oneness that's being shared between them and the Lord. As they pondered this reality, it would have thrilled their hearts. It would have brought such joy to them. But you know, for us, we can do this peace offering anytime we want, can't we? You can do it driving down the, Lord, down the road. You can do it first thing in the morning. You can do it in your lunch hour. You can do it at the end of the day. You can just sit down and you can begin to thank the Lord for the things that he's done. You can worship him for the, the reconciliation that's happened. We think of the communion service and how that kind of speaks to us of the, that peace that we now have with God. So the significance of this offering was there was a joyful sacrifice that the worshiper was at peace with God. At peace. And we are at peace with God. We are at peace with the Lord. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then he has reconciled you to the Father. Colossians 1.20 says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus has made peace between us and the Father because of the blood that was shed. We have peace with the Lord. Enjoy being one with the Lord. I might, you might want to write down John 17 as you think about oneness with the Lord. Go read John 17 again. Ponder it. It is a, an amazing verse that every, every chapter, every time I come to this, I, I just feel like I got to tread so carefully because what Jesus is saying is so amazing and I don't want to overstep the bounds, but that we would be one with him as he is one with the Father. Are you kidding me? This is the kind of connection. This is the kind of fellowship the Lord wants us to have with him. Well, chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 13, deals with the sin offering. This is for unintentional sin. So the next two offerings deal with restoring fellowship and having sins forgiven. Both the sin offering, and then we're going to read about the trespass offering, are very similar, but they do differ in regard to the type of sin that is being atoned for and the way in which the sin is being atoned for. In the sin offering, which is before us right now here in chapter 4, um, the worshiper who had sinned against God did so unintentionally. The trespass offering was for a worshiper who had sinned against the Lord or another person and needed to make restitution. So chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a person sins, what's the word? Unintentionally. Against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer the, to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. 
Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, the corners of the altar, of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So it just kind of goes goes through and, um, you know, highlights this is what you must do. There, there needs to be some shedding of blood. But notice it was for unintentional sin. There's some sin that had no provision. No sacrifice could be made. If you committed murder, if you committed adultery, there was not a prescribed sacrifice that you would go and make. We know of a man in the Old Testament who committed murder and adultery. His name is what? King David. And what does David say in that, that famous Psalm 51? In verses 16 and 17, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. There's nothing I can do. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. All David could do was to be broken before God. There was not a sacrifice that was there that he could make. So in verse 3, we read that if a, a priest sinned, then the Lord required a young bull. In verse 12, it talks about how the carcass of the animal was to be carried outside the camp. So they remember, they're wandering through the wilderness. So verse 12, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. So it was that this thing is unclean because my sin has been transferred to it. Now this thing is unclean and so it needs to be taken outside the camp. Jesus was that sacrifice and he had our sin laid upon him and he became what? Unclean. So when he died, where did he go? He went outside the camp. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 12, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Here it is, verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. There on Golgotha outside. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So again, verse 13 is the idea that these were feeling like they didn't want to be connected with Jesus anymore because they were being uh, persecuted. They're being set aside. They're being, you know, uh, mocked. And, and he says, Jesus went outside for us. We can go outside to meet with him and bear that same reproach. But the New Testament parallel is just so powerful and the book of Hebrews just brings so much of this in for us to see. Now, in verses 13 through 32, and I'm not going to read through all of them. I'm just going to hit a couple of verses. Um, we read about the priest, right? Uh, but in verse 13 um, of chapter 4, it says, Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally. Skip down with me down to verse 22. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally. Uh, let's go to verse 27. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord. And then we can come um, 
Oh, there was one more spot I wanted to find. But the point here that, that we see is everybody sins. Well, you know, it's just the common people. No, 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 it's not just the common people. It's the rulers. Well, of course it's the rulers. Yeah, of course it's those guys. Well, it's the whole congregation, but it's also the priest. What the Lord was saying is that everybody is a sinner. Everybody is in need of forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you what to do when you sin, how to make this right. And haven't we been told this by Paul in the book of Romans? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're listening to this message tonight, you're like, yeah, but I'm a sinner. It's like, yeah, God knows you're a sinner. He knows we all are sinners. He is not surprised by that. He's not wanting us to continue on. He's calling us to repentance and to turn away. But you don't have to go and find a bull or a lamb or a goat or a grain offering. You have the perfect sacrifice that's been made once for all, and his name is Jesus. Yahweh saves is what his name means. And he has come and he has offered up himself as a sacrifice for you. There's only one perfect man, and that is Jesus. That's why he could atone for your sins. That's why his sin could be transferred to him. Your sin could be transferred to him. And that he could die in your place. Moving into chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Some examples are given for which a person would need to make a sin offering. So let's read a little bit of that. Chapter 5, verse 1. If a person sins in the hearing, uh, in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell, he bears guilt. So this is one of the things. You, you, you have some information. Uh, maybe you don't think it's significant at the time, but you really should have spoke up and you didn't well, then you would have to make this sacrifice. Or, verse 2, if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast, like Samson, or the carcass of an un unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or, verse 3, if, a, if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it. When he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or, verse 4, if a person swears speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good. You make a vow. It's a dumb vow that you make. It's a foolish vow. Whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, he shall be guilty in, in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and then he goes on to talk about the offerings that would need to be made. Now, verses 7 through 12, I love this. I love this. Let's read this together. We're reading about the bulls and the goats and, and the lambs. Um, but look at, at verse 7 it's of the sacrifices that are supposed to be brought. It says, if he's not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed two turtle doves, or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering, and the other is a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, and wring off its head and its neck, and, but shall not divide it completely. And he goes on to give all the details. So we start off with the, uh, um, the congregation. 
Well, the priest needing to bring a bull or the congregation needing to bring a, a bull, a, a ruler to bring a male kid. The common people could bring a female goat or a lamb. But if you just couldn't afford it, if it wasn't in your power to do it, the Lord still wanted you to be atoned for. He still wanted to forgive. And so he made a way for all people to come, right? You see the beauty? The Lord is opening his arms to all people. It's not just a special class of people that get saved. It's all people that the Lord is welcoming of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so he invites them to come and to be a part of this as well. In verses, uh, verse 11, it talks about offering up an ephah of flour. So there was a cost associated with dealing with your sin. Now, when we say there's a cost with sin, we immediately go to Jesus and the, what it cost him. But if you were a Hebrew coming to worship the Lord and you had made that stupid vow, I'm going to do this, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I was dumb. Why did I say that? Well, now you've got to go make an offering. And so if you're a ruler, you're going to, it was going to cost you more. But if you're a poor person, I can't. If it had been a bull, what, what, what was a poor widow to do? Just remain unforgiven the Lord's like oh no no I'll make a way for you but I think of the words of the prophet Isaiah he in Isaiah 55 verse 1 he says ho everyone who thirsts come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat yes come buy wine and milk without money and without price the Lord has paid the price for our sin." Is it costly? Oh, yeah. We are not redeemed with, you know, silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And he has fully paid the price. We must be diligent. We must be sober and circumspect that we never forget the high price that was paid for sin. You know, you can see how they would have had a conscious awareness of the cost of sin. Because <laughs> you, you could have actually put a, a dollar amount on it, couldn't you? Did you make another stupid vow, honey? Yeah, I did. Do you know how, how many lambs are we going to have to give up this month? This is getting costly, right? There, you would have been in touch with it. Got a journey to the tabernacle. We don't even live close to the tabernacle. So there would have been this association that they had in their mind. But we need to remember, we need to, when we come to the table of the Lord, and we do that a few times a month, you know, at least twice a month, you know, and other times in the home fellowships and sometimes on Sunday night, we need to be reminded of the cost that was paid. We need to be sobered and not be so flippant about these things that are sinful in our life. Well, chapter 5, verse 14, all the way down through chapter 6, verse 7, we come to the trespass offering. And this was for two types of sins. And there was a restitution that was associated. It was, we'll see, it's going to be 20%. So this was for sin against holy things and against one's neighbor. So let's pick up at verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass, and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord. Then he shall bring 
the Lord to the Lord as his trespass offering, a ram without blemish from the flocks, with your valuation and shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. So you were gonna, it was the animal and shekels. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing. Add one-fifth to it and give to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram and the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. 17, if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he's guilty. Just because you didn't know you were doing it, if it's wrong, it's wrong. You're still held accountable. You shall bear the, he shall bear his iniquity, and he shall bring to a priest a ram without blemish, and we read on. In chapter 6, verse 2, it says, if a person commits, the type, second type of sin, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor. So if you sin against your neighbor, you trespass against who? The Lord. This is why David said, against you and you only have I sinned. So you, if you harm your brother or your sister, it's a sin against them. And so he talks about what needs to be done there. If you've taken something, if you extorted something, um, verse 3, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, and any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or that which was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value and add 20%. So there's this awareness that you had to, you're going to have to pay a penalty for what you've done. And then you would also, we see, bring a ram as well. And so these were the offerings that would be made. So again, there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of money being spent in the worship. But what was one of the last things that Jesus said when he hung on the cross? Does anybody remember? It, what? It is finished. And I know a lot of you know this. The Greek word is what? Tetelestai, which means paid in full. He got you for the ram, and he's got you for the 20%. <laughs> it's paid in full. And now you get to come, and you need to eat. You get to eat, and you get to drink freely of the salvation, the atonement, David said, oh how, oh, how happy is, to the, is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Any happy people in here tonight? Anybody glad that you're not going to have to give an account for your sin when you stand before the Lord because you've come and you've made it right with Jesus and he's paid the price for you? What a beautiful thing. Well, I'm not going to say much. I have one comment in these, the end of chapter 6, verse 8, through chapter 7, verse 38. Here you have the regulations of the priest in dealing with the, the offerings. And there, there's things that, that are in here. It's, a lot of it is about what part of the animal could you keep. Um, it talks about with the burnt offering, um, the ashes are to be carried out. The fire is never to go out on the altar. There's a lot made of that. Um, it talks in the grain offering about what they could keep and what was, you know, to be offered up. Um, sin offering, what part could they keep? Trespass offering, the priest could eat it while they were at the temple. Um, talks about the grain offering, peace offering. Um, 
Then verses 22 through 27 of chapter 7, there's a strong prohibition about eating the fat and drinking the blood. The fat was never to go to anybody except to the Lord. And it was considered some of the choice pieces. Um, And so 28 through 38, all kinds of information about um, what the priest was to eat and not eat. Very specific. So I want to close with this. There's a couple of guys who totally disregarded Leviticus chapter 7, verses 28 through 38. It's Eli's sons. Hophni and Phinehas, they did not care about this. We read, I'll read to you, 2 Samuel 2, verses 12 through 17. But, but I want to I get this one last piece in because, you know, we read about it, it's like, well, the parts, the parts, does it really matter? Well, it matters. It matters. Watch how much it matters. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a, pre, with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. Well, three, three flesh hooks, you're going to get most of it, aren't you? So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came. If you're going on the trip to Israel with us in March, we're going to be going to Shiloh where these guys hung out and did their stuff. Pick it up there in verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat uh, for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Here's the matter. 17. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred offering to the Lord. I mean, we, there's the details of the fat and there's the details of what pieces you get. And these guys broke them both besides the other things that they were doing and taking advantage of the women as they came to worship. And so this, the priesthood got so corrupt that people hated to worship the Lord. It's a good lesson for this pastor and everybody else who stands to serve the Lord, to represent the Lord, is that our lives would never offend people and make them not want to come to Jesus because of the way we treat them. Not that any of us are perfect. They had offerings for their sin too. But this is not some unintentional sin. This is outright decided disobedience and defiance against God. And they caused the people to abhor rather than to just rejoice in their worship to the Lord. And so may we walk humbly before the Lord. May we do all the things that he's asked of us and requires of us, both in his written word and those soft whispers that he speaks into your ear. Walk them out. Be a burnt sacrifice, totally consumed in your service to the Lord. Father, thank you that you've you've made a way. You've painted the picture. A sin is ugly that it must be atoned for. 
that it's costly, that it takes life, it takes blood. But Lord, you sent your son to fulfill all of that. And here we stand on the other side of of the cross, redeemed and free. And we are able to drink freely. We're able to eat freely. And we want to thank you for our salvation, Lord. We give you praise. We give you worship. We give you glory. Teach us, Lord, to walk humbly before you. Teach us to walk uprightly. And while the access we have is so wide, it's so generous, it's so free, may we never take it for granted, thinking lightly of our sin as we go. But Lord, may we all the more, because of the price that was paid, because the door's been swung so wide open, may we be all the more eager to walk in holiness before you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.